You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron's here. Scott Jackson's going to be on the show today for 10, 15 minutes. We'll talk some uh, basketball, uh, Bradley Beal stuff with him. Uh, Eric Zimney, who is the VP of Racing and Sportsbook at Charlestown, the Hollywood Casino at Charlestown. Actually, he's the VP of the, their, their sportsbook uh, casino, all the casinos that they own uh, throughout the country. He's going to be with us as well. We'll start talking about the Super Bowl point spread, um, the totals, prop bets, uh, a lot of gambling stuff um, with him. Actually, Eric's a, a really, really um, sharp guy, good guy uh, to have on. So we'll do that uh, as well. Um I wanted to start with something that I listened to and watched late last night, and it was Peyton Manning um, on DenverBroncos.com, Aaron, talking about his brother Eli. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play for you one part of that where Peyton sort of makes the case for his brother to be in the Hall of Fame, but... I would urge all of you, because I'm not going to play the whole thing, it's about 20 minutes long, but if you have time this weekend and you got 15, 20 minutes to burn, go to denverbroncos.com and just watch Peyton Manning talk about his younger brother, Eli. I found it to be so interesting because he's in awe of his brother. He respects his younger brother, Eli, so much um, as a football player, uh, as much as a person, but um, as a football player. And he talks about him in, in a way that almost leads me to believe that he thinks he wasn't nearly as good as Eli at being cool, calm, and collected, which is what he mentions throughout. He's like every big pressure moment Eli had the demeanor, the personality to deliver when the game was on the line the most. And it was actually really cool to hear Peyton Manning. He he gets, you know, it's not that he gets emotional, but he gets very animated at times in talking about uh, his younger brother. And we know that, we know the Mannings, they're the first family of football, and we've seen Peyton and Eli in various, you know, ESPN promotion, you know, promotional spots, et cetera. But he's the big brother. Eli's the youngest. And I just found it really interesting to listen to Peyton talk about Eli, but this is the one cut that I um, wanted to play for everybody. He was asked it, as part of that interview about Eli Manning's Hall of Fame worthiness. Here's what Peyton Manning said. Uh, I certainly have my strong feelings and opinions on it that uh, um, when you're the Super Bowl MVP uh, twice uh, against the greatest dynasty of all time, the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and you join a a list that includes Terry Bradshaw, Bart Starr, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Eli Manning as the only Super Bowl MVPs. That kind of, I don't really know what that term, drop the mic is, but I guess if there was one, I I had a, maybe, you know, there really is no yeah, but after that. That kind of, that kind of ends it. And, but if you want to, yeah, but, yeah, but he also started 220 plus consecutive games. He, you know, sixth or seventh all time in touchdowns. I mean, it wasn't like he just played those two seasons. I mean, he also, you know, just answered the bell, you know, played his butt off, won some huge games for his team. And so uh, I have strong opinions on it, but kind of per, uh, I'm going to pull an Eli, I'm going to kind of live in the present right now and not to, uh, 
uh, and kind of look back a little bit, if you will, and not, you know, look too far ahead, not get, you know, too worried about it. Telling you it's worth the 15 to 20 minutes, however long it was um, to watch. I just found it, I don't know, there's something about the Mannings in particular that are, uh, that's very interesting. Um, And boy, he talks about that Super Bowl win over the 2007 Patriots in particular as one of the more impressive feats of all time. And he said that team was unbeatable. That's that that's a monster team of all time. That was obviously the team that went 16 and 0 in the regular season and was 18 and 0 heading into the Super Bowl. And Eli, you know, engineered that last drive, which ended with the touchdown pass to Plaxico Burris for the go-ahead touchdown. The giant defense was awesome, you know, in both of those uh, winning Super Bowls. But you know, I mentioned this yesterday with Tommy. You know, Eli Manning played big in those, you know, you can say it's just two postseasons, and you heard Peyton talk about, you know, top 10, top 7, whatever his yardage, touchdowns, the whole thing. This guy had a pretty robust career, and to hang it just on a 500 overall winning record and only two postseason runs, um, I I think that's a little bit bit shaky. I, I personally think that that uh, Eli Manning is going to be in the Hall of Fame, as we talked about yesterday. And I think while it's debatable, I think I would, if I were a Hall of Fame voting member, I think I probably would vote for Eli. One of the reasons, and Peyton goes into this, is just how big he played in the playoff games that led to the Super Bowl. You know, they... Eli, on the road in those two Super Bowl-winning seasons, had to win a combined five playoff games away from the Meadowlands. In 2007, uh, it was January of 2008 at that point, they went on the road and they beat Tampa. And then on the road against the Cowboys, the Cowboys were the number one seed that year. That's the game where Romo throws an interception at the end of the game. And Eli wasn't phenomenal in the game. He was 12 of 18 for 163 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. You know, no mistakes in that game. And some big-time drives, including a fourth-quarter drive to give them the lead, 21-17. And then this is something else that Peyton talked about, was winning at Lambeau in that in that frigid game where Tom Coughlin's face, remember, is freezing. You know, and you, you got icicles hanging off from his eyes and his nose. And Eli goes into to Lambeau in the NFC title game as an eight-point underdog. Um, and is a big part of, of of winning that game. You know, they they uh, they beat Brett Favre and the Packers. Now it was Favre's interception in overtime that set up the game-winning field goal from Lawrence Tynes. But the Giants had driven into field goal range, and he missed a field goal at the end of regulation that would have won it. Um, and then you got uh, you know the 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 two thousand. Uh, 11 season, the two, January 2012 playoffs, he goes to Lambeau and crushes the Packers again, crushes Aaron Rodgers uh, in the Packers 37 to 20 uh, in a game where, you know, he throws for 330 and three touchdowns, you know, at Lambeau. I mean, that's that's not an easy place to win in the postseason. Um, and then beats the 49ers. They get a, a big drive late, and then in, you know, it's a, you know, and then in overtime they had the the fumbled punt that set up the game winner. And then they beat the the Patriots again. I just I'm, trust me on this. Um, if you got 20 minutes, watch Peyton Manning. It's available on DenverBroncos.com. Uh, I just found it to be uh, Peyton sort of out of character in the way we think about him. You know, um, he was really, really very um, persuasive, but more importantly, I I came away thinking, wow, he really, in many ways, is in awe of Eli, his younger brother, 
and the difference between the two, and that was Eli was this guy that under pressure delivered consistently in the big spots. And, you know, perhaps the reason Peyton feels that way is that Peyton, as a quarterback in the NFL, very often at home as a number one seed in the postseason didn't get through. You know, Peyton Manning, before that last year in Denver where, you know, Von Miller and company really won that Super Bowl for them and took them through that postseason, Peyton was, you know, was a contributor, but but certainly wasn't the Peyton Manning of old. Um, those three wins in the 2016 uh, postseason were what gave Peyton Manning a winning playoff record. Eli's 8-4 and four all-time in the postseason. Peyton was t- uh, 11-13 heading into that uh, 2016 postseason following the 2015 season, um, and they won three playoff games over Pittsburgh, New England, 20-18. Remember, they, they missed an extra point, went for two, and missed it there at the end, and then over Carolina, 24-10 in the Super Bowl, and that's, that's what gave Peyton Manning as a starter a winning record in the postseason. He had a losing record heading into that with many, many home losses as a higher seeded team where he in some of those games he played well and in some of those games to be fair they didn't have a great defense um but yeah I I I sort of got the sense of watching that Peyton um you know one of the things he really admired about his younger brother was how clutch he was how he in in the personality that he had where nothing rattled him, nothing bothered him, and he sort of credits that as the the reason that Eli performed well in some of the biggest games that the Giants had during the course of his career. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Uh, we'll get to uh, Scott Jackson and, and talk some uh, talk some um, uh, Wizards and Bradley Beal not being um, voted into the on the All Star uh, team here in, in a moment. Um, two things, though, sort of Redskins-related. First of all, Pro Football Focus um, ranked the NFL's most productive 2019 rookie classes from number one to number 32. So they took you know last year's draft, the rookie classes for all 32 teams, and ranked them. And the Redskins <clears throat> came in at number one. Number one overall. Pro Football Focus wrote, the Redskins got average quarterback play from Dwayne Haskins after he took over as the starter in Week 9 and an outstanding performance from third-round receiver Terry McLaurin. Play like that from two of the most valuable positions in the NFL will go a long, long way toward making a top draft class. Haskins got off to a rough start uh, to his career with two shaky performances off the bench, but he rebounded with a 73.4 pro football focus grade, which ranked 12th among quarterbacks after he took over as a starter in Week 9. Uh, about McLaurin, Pro Football Focus wrote, McLaurin was a revelation in 2019. His 86.5 receiving grade not only led all rookie wide receivers this season, but it was the highest mark since Odell Beckham Jr.'s in 2014 for rookie wide receivers. Um, the Redskins draft of Haskins, Sweat, McLaurin, Bryce Love, who didn't play, Wes Martin, Ross Piercebacher, who really didn't play, Cole Holcomb, Kelvin Harmon, Jimmy Moreland, and Jordan Brailford, who really didn't play, was, according to Pro Football Focus's rankings, the number one draft class of 2019. Now, with all of that understood, you do understand that 
they could go back two, three, four years from now and do a new ranking of the 2019 draft class, and it may not be number one. You know, it may not be. I mean, that's the thing about this NFL draft. It is encouraging, don't get me wrong. It's very encouraging that the Redskins draft class is produced the way it produced, wherever it ended up being ranked. You know, it. we saw it. We saw that Terry McLaurin looks like the real deal. We saw when Montez Sweat wasn't dropping in, into coverage that seven sacks for a rookie, you know, J.J. Watt only had five and a half sacks as a rookie. Montez Sweat ended up with seven sacks in his rookie season. And, and think about that, because for much of the season, what, what did we all think? We thought, ooh, he does not look good. He ended up with seven sacks. Some of those came late, and he looked much better late, especially when they stopped dropping him into coverage. And he got more comfortable. You know, I mean, it was a new position for him as sort of a stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4. You know, Haskins, Sweat, McLaurin, uh, Martin played, you know, showed promise. Holcomb clearly showed some promise. Harmon, the same thing. Um, And Jimmy Moreland, you know, had his ups and downs. I mean, we thought, you know, early in training camp, if you recall last year, I think a lot of us thought that Jimmy Moreland might be the steal of the draft. But drafts really can't be truly evaluated, I don't think, until three years after the draft. You've got to have three full seasons to really get a sense of whether or not the draft was a good one. It's encouraging. It's an encouraging start compared, according to Pro Football Focus anyway, which I don't always put a lot of stock into. I think it's really hard to evaluate these players on each individual play when you don't know what their responsibilities are on any given play. Um, But at least based on this one measurement, the Redskins had the most successful rookie class of 2019. Let's see where it is three, four years down the road. Hopefully it still holds up. I would be surprised if Terry McLaurin doesn't end up um, developing into you know a true number one wide receiver, and as a number you know as the, as the number seventy six pick overall third round, not bad. Um, I would be surprised personally if Cole Holcomb doesn't end up becoming a pretty uh, uh, influential and and meaningful contributor um, to the Redskins defense. I like Kelvin Harmon too. I liked him coming out. Um, we don't know about Sweat. I had a lot of confidence and sweat. I saw, you know, flashes. Um, I know what he was in college. Um, what he was in college, if he turns to, out to be that in the NFL, it will be a great pick and a great trade to get into the first round. And of course, Haskins, we've got to see, you know, if he continues to progress at the rate that he did at the end of last year, which was encouraging. Um, you know, that that draft in 2018 when, you know, people – remember, it was the 2018 draft where Bruce Allen was going around after that draft basically, you know, shaking hands and allowing people to pat himself on the back after they picked Payne, Geis, Christian, um, and, uh, you know, had some uh, – a Bama player late in Sean Dion Hamilton, and they hadn't played it down yet. I like Deron Payne, but Darius Geis could turn out to be a disastrous pick in the second round. Um, because of his health. Uh, Christian doesn't look really at this point as a third rounder like he can play. I think Settle's got something to him. I think Apke's got something to him. And I've always liked Sean Dion Hamilton. Um, but man, that was the draft, Aaron, right? That uh, Bruce Allen sort of did a circuit of allowing people to congratulate him yes. on the 2018 what? draft, which again, I wouldn't you know truly evaluate until 2021. 
or until after the 2020 season, um, which would be next year, where you can sort of look back at that draft. And next year will be a bit of a telling year for Darius Geis. Can he stay healthy or not? Um, also, real quickly, before we bring Scott Jackson in here, uh, Mel Kuyper had his uh, version 1.0 of the NFL draft, mock draft number one for Kuyper today. Uh, he's got Burrow 1. He's got Chase Young 2. Now, I did not see this on Get Up with Mike uh, Greenberg and company this morning, but a friend of mine texted me, and Kuyper did say that he does not think it's a slam dunk that the Bengals will take Burrow. He thinks Chase Young could still be in the conversation for the Bengals at number one. I can't imagine that the Bengals won't take a quarterback. I can't, I, that, that I can't me, imagine them not taking Burrow. Yeah, I can't imagine them not taking Burrow. Exactly. You know, if I told you right now that uh, I could see the future and that on May 1st um, we were talking about Tua Tungavailoa going number one overall to Cincinnati, you you couldn't say that that's impossible because we don't know how he's going to be evaluated coming off that injury. Let's face it, last year at this time he was the number one pick in this draft by by a long shot. You know, Tua Tungavailoa was going to be the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Joe Burrow had a sensational year. He's going to be evaluated at a very high level, but so is Tungavailoa. You know, you may get into a position, a situation where if he's healthy and they start work, he starts, you know, working out, and he, people are watching tape, and they think he's every bit of what Burrow is. It'll come down to sort of a preference thing. Maybe Cincinnati prefers uh, Tua. I don't think that's out of the question that Tua ends up being the number yeah, one pick. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. I would bet on Burrow right now. But God, we see this every year that between January and April, everything we think about the draft in January and February, so much, so much of it changes when we get to uh, when we get to draft night in late April, first round. What were you going to say? I was going to say I I do agree, and I do think that you're going to start at least that is going to be a storyline. Let's say at the combine or in March, you know, th- there's always that little thing where it's like, oh, they are not 100% sold on Burrow. Right. You always hear that, even if they are 100%, and that's going to be the story we hear. I just think when all said and done, Burrow between how good he looked this year, between the fact that he's from Ohio, between the fact that he is the safe pick, I'd be just stunned if he didn't go first. Uh, all right, quick word about Stamps.com. All right, um, Stamps.com should be a new, new Year's resolution for those of you that have small businesses and you continue to go to the post office. Uh, save more money, save more time. Stamps.com does everything you can do at a post office, but you're, you can do it right from your office and your computer. Stamps.com gives you something you can't get at the post office. Big discounts on postage. Five cents off every first-class stamp. off priority mail. It's a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder that over 700,000 small businesses are already using Stamps.com. You simply use your computer. You can print out official U.S. postage for any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. If you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. It's a no-brainer. Brainer. There's no risk too. Use my promo code Kevin DC when you go to stamps.com. You'll get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments or contracts. Go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Kevin DC. That's stamps.com promo code Kevin DC. 
All right, let's bring in um, my good friend Scott Jackson from the Team 980 and lots of different places uh, to talk some NBA All-Star voting because, I look, I don't really care that much about this, but I did find it interesting that Bradley Beal, among players, um, was voted as the second best guard in the East. So for those that don't know, there's a 50% fan vote. There's a 25% player vote and a 25% media vote. And that creates essentially the starting five. And then you get another five players, uh, you know, based on the voting. And then you get the coaches picking um, the two, you know, alternates or reserves or whatever you want to call them. I, I forget how it works. But Beal isn't in the top ten. He could get named to the team as one of the final two and probably will. But how about the disconnect, Scott, between Bradley Beal his fan ranking, the ninth best guard in the East, and the player ranking, the players, his, you know, his contemporaries, his peers, voting him as the second best guard in the East behind Kemba Walker. Yeah, I mean, I like it from that standpoint because I think the players, the players got it right. I mean, I think he is, he should be held up in that regard. But it is a little frustrating because you have this this fan component, and it's always been goofy. We had this in baseball for years too. Uh, where you get these lineups and it's like a nostalgia thing. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about Trey Young. So, like, I want to blame a lot of this on the fact that the Wizards aren't very good. But yet, it's not like Trey Young, you right. know, playing on, you know, uh, the Atlanta Hawks. You know, I mean, he's playing on the Atlanta Hawks, not playing on the Bucks or the Celtics or somebody like that. So that's what's kind of uh, kind of missed me a little bit about the, how the whole thing break down, broke down. And, you know, it also speaks to a bigger problem, I think, for Bradley Beal and why maybe he's getting a little antsy here in D.C., even though he said all the right things. You know, we had the blow up a few weeks ago on the athletic report where he's you know, behind the scenes he's not really happy with some of the things and he made his comments about the culture not improving up yet um you know this is i think the clock starts ticking in guys heads a little bit uh and they want to they want to see improvement but you know this is just kind of like the wizards are so far off the radar when it comes to nba basketball right now because they've kind of you know decided to punt on the season with john wall out and you know i mean the, the east is so bad they're going to mathematically be in it i think most of the year but when you watch them, you know, some nights you see some stuff like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And then other nights you're like, what, what are they doing here? You know, this is one of the worst defensive teams we've ever seen. Um, you know, they'll compete a team like Cleveland. Obviously, they can play tough with Miami. But I just, the inconsistencies are, are, are crazy. But I, I think this is just a bigger symptom of, of uh, you know, kind of like where the Wizards are right now on the NBA radar, which is they're not really on it. Yeah, but you made the point, I, I think I made it earlier today, I think I did on radio, is that, you know, Trey Young, I know Trey Young had a lot of, sort of attention coming in and had that incredible one season, you know, at Oklahoma and and he's and he's really an exciting player to watch, but they're horrible. I mean, they are first yeah, rate they're awful. you know, terrible. Um but um I, I, I still, you know, I so the Beal thing is just interesting, and I, and this is one of the reasons I wanted you on. So th- putting the all-star stuff aside and putting the ranking by the players versus the fans and coaches uh, aside. I think Bradley Beal's a really, really good player, and I think he's a lot better this year, and I think he's developed into a truly you know, high-level NBA scorer. But I don't think you win a title or even contend for one with Bradley Beal as your number one. What do you think? Well, they got to get a lot better all around him, and this is why you know, I know a lot of people are like, no matter how John Wall looks, even though he's running five-on-five five at a local you know, gym in Miami, 
with other NBA players or former NBA players, people are like, you shouldn't play him at all this year. Or I kind of go the other way. I think as soon as he's medically ready, you go and let him. we got to find out whether or not these two guys can still play together or how it's going to look. Does it look any better than before as John progressed in terms of the rest of his game where he'll complement Bradley better and vice versa? Uh, I mean, you got to find that out. But, yeah, I mean, there's no way the way the roster's constructed now that they're going to win a championship. I mean, they've got to add pieces. This has never been a destination city for free agents, as we know. Um, this isn't exactly, on paper at least right now, a great year to be the lottery team, you know, that wins. I don't know if it really brings you the big bang for your buck, you know. Uh, there's no Zion Williamson in this draft or, you know, even Tom Morant. So, I, I know this is the tough thing is for the Wizards, and they're kind of, you know, you know, if they don't make it and they get a lottery and they get lucky, I don't know really what that's going to bring you back. But anyway, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he's not going to be your number one guy most likely to win a championship. I think you got to have other pieces around him, um, you know, unless he suddenly becomes Kawhi Leonard and, you know, that everybody can play off of him. But, you know, the way we've seen it constructed at this point, yeah, I mean, I think they, he needs more help. Why, sure. do you, why do you want to see Wall now? What do you want to learn? Do you want to learn something so that the off-season plan after this season, you know, starts rather than waiting until 2021 where you figured out what Wall is? Yeah, yeah. I think you need to find out as soon as possible. So what would you do if eight. you find out he can't play? <laughs> then you're basically where you knew you were in the first place. You know, they know they're in a tough spot with this contract. There's no question about it. Um, you got to find out. You know, maybe you build up an actual situation where you can build up a market for. Him. But you're right. I mean, there is always the fear that he doesn't play well. Then I guess you can sign it off on, you know, and shut him off, shut him down quickly, and say, all right, we'll just wait till next year. But look, if he's out running in these in these games where there's no Wizards uh, attendance in. in the trainers nearby. I gotta think he's he's ready to play, right? I mean, you don't just say I'm gonna go play at the local gym with a bunch of former players like he did the other day, and, and the team, you know, not have somebody standing by unless you are really ready to play basketball. So that, that's my feeling there. If he's allowed to play away from the team in these three-on-three structured deals, then he's ready. I mean, this, you know, it's just a matter of getting his win back and all that stuff. I, I you know, I had hope to think, and I've heard that he's, you know, worked on his game, and we're, we're going to be amazed at what we see in terms of his jump and all this other stuff. But again, until you actually see it in the game, who knows uh, if that's all true or not? And we've seen John shoot the ball well in his in his career at times, but it's just never been consistent. Yeah, I mean, you're you're actually bringing up something that I really, I, I guess, in part because for the first time in several years, I'm not paying nearly as close attention to the team. Why would I be? Right. Um, they're not even. I mean, where, where are we? We're they're, they won last night to go to 15 and 29, so that's 44 games. So they're actually just over the halfway mark of the season. If he's playing five on five pickup and he's getting close to returning, you know, we're not in March. We've got all. Right. We got the rest of this month. We got all of February, all of March, and most of April. Why wouldn't you play him unless you? Uh, unless you're really, really concerned that he's never going to be what he is, and you might, you know, think that r- rather than see him and try to deal him, maybe it's better if people don't see him and we try to get something for him. But with that contract, well, you're the, never going to be able to deal him. Yeah, yeah, you're never going to be able to deal him, especially if he's never seen back on the court uh, with that contract. I mean, they were hoping to get the medical exemption this year. They didn't to get some of that cap space. Right. And, and, you know, they didn't get it, it out. So I mean, that's why I also feel like. If he was ever going to be cleared this year, you might as well go ahead and get him out there because you're not getting any benefit from him not playing this year. And unless, again, you, you just feel like, well, the draft positioning is so important to you. But I, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm missing something here. But it just doesn't seem like one of those drafts where, you know, there's there's a huge difference uh, being 
you know, I don't know, like four or five spots or whatever it ended up being lower. And they're not the worst team, obviously, by far. So I don't know if they're going to win the win the lottery anyway. But, I, you know, again, I just think you got to get those guys back together because whether we like it or not, that might still be where we are, right? I mean, that still may be the team down, you know, at least for the next few years until Bradley ever either decides he's just completely had enough and has to get out or, or they decide, all right, we're just not going anywhere with it. We've got to move Bradley, and then we'll just try to figure out something with John with this contract, or do you start – you know, bringing in young parts around John and just kind of let that thing, you know, you know, the, the life of it eke out. But I mean, that's kind of where they are. I mean, they're in a, again in a tough spot. Never been a never been a destination city uh, for free agents no. either, and that's why they've got to nail it in the draft and uh, you know be creative and, and make it a real you know make it a championship kind of team. But it's gonna be hard to do. Yeah, I you know I think you're probably right in that you know first of all the NBA tends to be um, an older player league in terms of the teams that win uh, and you get guys in their you know late 20s early 30s in theory uh, Bradley Beal's just entering his prime at 26 years old um, John Wall at 28 29 whatever he is uh, depending on you know how he comes back from this injury especially given the way he plays. Um, would still, if he's completely healthy and he still has his speed and his athleticism, is technically in his prime right now for at least another couple of years minimum, that would be probably your best way to you know, get back to where you were briefly, which is a team that w- was a playoff kind of a team that could potentially win a series or two. Not contend for a title legitimately, um, but you know, play uh, you know, two, three weeks in the postseason. Yeah, and you just got to build all the guys around him. You hope, you know, Rui ends up being who you thought he was when you drafted him. You know, unfortunately, he's missed a lot of the season. And, you know, Troy Brown Jr., I think, has shown a lot of progress this year, although Scott Brooks refuses to start him for some reason. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> you got all that going on. Uh, you know, and they've, they've got some other young pieces that are interesting. Thomas Bryant here has kind of been derailed with injury, and then you've had this weird Jan Mahimi season that's happened that uh, you know, happens in the final year contract. And who knows, maybe you can flip him into something, maybe Isaiah as well, you know, before the trade deadline. You know, those guys, really, in the big picture, they don't fit uh, what you're trying to do uh, down the road. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, what? So, <laughs> you watch a lot of college basketball, so do I. Um, and I'm, yep. I'm into Maryland season right now. You're into Old Dominion season. How are they doing? I don't even know what, I don't even know uh, what, league, what, what league are they in. Uh, we're in Conference USA, Kevin. Uh, Come okay. on. I mean, who doesn't know about Conference USA? Um, not too good. Uh, I did two games. They were actually playing pretty well. I went down there and did two games for them this year, and they had, I swear to God, they only won like two games since I did that. So, like, they were kind of giving me a bunch of crap about it. Like, I was the cooler. But they've had two transfers. They've Last night, I think they lost one of their best players this season, although I don't think it's official yet. Um, so it's been horrible. And, I, you know, I know VCU as well. VCU's been good, although they've a little, been a little bit – Underperforming to the preseason hype, but I think they'll be a tournament team. Uh, the A10's actually really good, unlike USA. The A10's real deep. Uh, how's Jeff Jones doing health-wise? Jeff's doing good. You know, Jeff's. Fun. I like going down there and talking to Jeff because usually it's a lot of national talk. Um, he's very yeah, uh, invested he's... in the Nats. Yep, he's a big-time baseball guy, as you know, and uh, he was also a P1 980 listener for many, many, years. <laughs> many years. Many years, uh, and it's, it's always good talking to Jeff. You know, he's a hell of a coach. He won his 500th game, career game this year. Um, he's honestly the fact that they're even in these games and, and losing late or, or having a chance to win late is, is a testament to the kind of X's and O's coach he is. Because they just don't have the horses right now, and you know it's been a, it's been a rough year for them. But I wouldn't be surprised if they had a chance to 
still win that conference, they win the tournament because it's a one bit league every year. So, well, I mean, really, they were they were they were in it last year. You know, he was in the tournament last year, and I think they played Purdue because I think that was basically yeah, the yeah, one game that Carson okay. Edwards was held below fifty in the tournament. I think he, I don't remember <laughs> what he had. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a big weekend for the Terps coming up. You know, Indiana last night beat Michigan State at home. Um, the Big Ten is, I mean, loaded top to bottom. I don't know if it's got a national champion, uh, although, you know, we know what Izzo does. You know, just when you think yeah. that Michigan State may not make a run, they're in the Final Four like they were last year. Um and, you know, the, the comeback against Northwestern the other night was actually big. I think it had to be big for Turgeon. But this is like a, you know, the, the, every night's big. But Maryland at Indiana, that's the one place they haven't won since entering the Big Ten. Big game for them on Sunday. I heard you say that the other day. That's a, it's amazing. But, you know, it's, as you see this year, there are very few road wins around the, confer- around the country. excuse me. Uh, and if you can get a few of them in the conference on the season and obviously just hold serve at home, you know you're going to have a really good season, but I, I don't. I watch a lot of different games, and I, and I like start thinking I like a certain team, and then they, then I'm like, no, nah, I don't really like them anymore. It's just, it's just nobody that you fall in love with this year, and that's obviously why it's been so topsy turvy at number one. And uh, you know we haven't had like that great team, and it, you know it's probably going to make for one of the more interesting uh, you know March Madnesses we've seen in a while, and it's probably why your office secretary will end up winning the bracket pool at your uh, place as well. Well, they usually do anyway. I mean, it, right, true, even yeah. even with dominant teams. But, yeah, I don't – like, I, I was thinking Ohio State lost last night at home to Minnesota. Ohio State a month and a half ago was the number two team in the country. They're two and six in the Big Ten. You know, Michigan went from being unranked to top five. They're two and five in the Big Ten. It's really hard to figure out. You're right. And it, this is the time of year where you think Gonzaga's good, but you really don't know. You know, and you look at a couple of the non-conference wins that Gonzaga had, one of which was over North Carolina, which looked good in the moment. It doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't look very good now. By the way, Awful just as though. an aside, I mean, North Carolina is having an all-time Matt Doherty-style season um, for them. They they've lost six straight ACC games, first time ever that's happened in program history. Um, they're reeling right now, and I don't know. I mean, Cole Anthony would have made a difference had he been healthy, no but they stink. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I was looking the other day at all the uh, All Americans and McDonald's All American, uh, you know, finalists and all that stuff that was coming out, and there were a lot of Carolina kids on there, and those kids are going to get to play right away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because this team doesn't have a whole lot coming back. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's going to be opportunities for those guys like immediately next year. It, it, it's it's amazing. I think there. I think I saw there were four four guys committed to Carolina in the uh, in the McDonald's yeah. game, and um, yeah, they they're able to reload pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, all right. Yeah, but it's been a terrible year. I mean, if it wasn't Roy Williams there, you would hear a lot more noise about it. But I think they'll I think they'll be a lot better next season. This has been a, a humbling year for them for sure. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Kevin. Thanks. Always good to catch up uh, with uh, Jackson, um, and uh, he's been working a lot of games, doing a lot of college games, doing a lot of high school games, um, doing a great job there. Quick uh, word about MyBookie.ag. Looking to bet some college hoops this weekend? MyBookie.ag is reliable. Uh, they've got the fastest payouts, best promotions, helpful customer service team, plenty of ways to bet, straight bets, teasers, parlays, in-game action, 
All great odds, great point spreads. You're looking for a place to trust. MyBookie.ag is the place to go. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. To get that done, you got to use my promo code KevinDC to activate the offer. MyBookie.ag, it's a trusted place in the industry if you're looking for a place uh, to bet on college basketball and, of course, next weekend with the Super Bowl. MyBookie is where you want to go. Use my promo code KevinDC. All right, uh, let's bring in um, a guest. Eric Zimney is the vice president of the Racing and Sports Book uh, for not only the Hollywood Casino in Charlestown, but a lot of the properties that are owned by the group. Um, and he's really good at, at, at helping us sort of uh, you know figure out where the line is, where it's going, and we're a week away from you know a, a lot of the the activity, and, and obviously now nine days away from the game. I wanted to start with this, Eric. Were you surprised? Like when I started thinking about the different Super Bowl point spread possibilities before the championship games. I actually really thought that the 49ers were going to be a favorite over anybody. How much did the Mahomes and the Chiefs' offensive firepower in those two playoff games sort of turn the tables on that? Yeah, I think I think it I think it, uh, I think it, it factored in big time, especially with you know something like the national championship game in the in the rearview mirror, where you had everyone analyzing the game and. You know, there's one team that's got uh, you know the the better defense, maybe actually one to one to fifty better personnel, and uh, the other team's got the dynamite quarterback and three, four, five weapons that are just kind of unstoppable. And and you saw what happened after 60 minutes there. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think it it took a similar tone with this game, and we're kind of seeing the money play that play out uh, that way even further since we opened the game at one. Don't you think, though, college football is different in that you can more times than not you get the offensive team trumping the defensive team, whereas in the NFL over a long period of time, defense more often than not can shut down great offense, where it just doesn't seem to happen as much in college football. It can just because you know the, there's there's a larger. Um, I guess disparity in terms of talent on college teams. I mean, you know, you, you know, everybody on a pro roster is going to be a, a pretty good player, um, and so yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I also do think in this day's day and age of football and kind of the way it's played, that I don't want to say that's how it used to be, but you know, it just seems like we're going more and more in an offensive world. And if you look at the way the point totals reacted in this game, it, it seems like the public thinks you know uh, along similar lines. I mean, we opened it at fifty-one and a half. And across our network, literally 100% of the money was on the over. Yeah, um, 100%, and it was not an, an immaterial amount of money. And it's right now it's at 54, and we still have 85% of the money on the over right now at that number. So uh, I could see it going a little bit further, but you know how much further? I, I don't know. It, you know, 54 seems like it's it, it, it's a pretty square number for this game. It sounds like for a contrarian like me, it sounds like an underplay in the Super Bowl. You know, it's funny because, and, and I want to get. Get into to, to the the numbers in in the Super Bowl next week in more detail here shortly, but I I think I've told you in some of the the, the times that you've been on the radio show I've been doing this segment for. 
14 years that I call the smell test, where basically it's just a contrarian handicap, you know, handicapping philosophy. You know, on Fridays each week, I basically try to find the biggest public plays and just go, you know, just go opposite. You know, that's, I mean, there's a little bit more to it, but that's essentially been the theory. And for 14, you know, coming into this year, there'd been 13 years, you know, I had had 10 solid seasons of, you know, 55, 56, you know, between 55 and 60 percent, 55, 59 percent winners and just three losing seasons and they were barely losing seasons. Eric, I got crushed this year. Early in the season, I was 26 games above 500 in like early October. And the rest of the year, at least from my perspective, really felt like a public year. Did it work out that way for you? Book actually did okay this year. Um, so, no, I mean, it, for us, it wasn't as public uh, of a year as it might have been otherwise. Um, I, I think this game, though, is certainly going to be a public game. And I, yeah, I go back, and I'm not, you know, don't mean to harp on the, uh, you know, the, the national championship game. I mean, I haven't seen a bigger public versus square, you know, public versus sharp game than that one. I mean, we had so much public money on LSU right. on. Uh, on, on LSU and the Sharps kept steaming the line back down on Clemson and, and we got beat really bad on that game. That was the one game I would say that we got we got hit hard on. But no, pros pros were good to us this year. Yeah, I, I you know a lot of it was it turned out to be uh, college um, and I was on I was on Clemson for the limit um, in that game and and I'll probably be on the under. It's funny about the NFL playoffs the the three weekends. I mean you had in that wild card weekend you basically had I think four unders. Um, and then in the uh, divisional round, the first two games, the Minnesota game and the Baltimore game, were under. And we've had since then we've had four straight overs with you know a lot of public action, as you mentioned on the over uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, I, it seems like you can't make a line high enough. Um, what what else stood out from the first couple of weekends of, of the NFL playoffs? I mean, to me, Casey's explosiveness was just uh, you know. I can't imagine, I don't know that there is or isn't, if there's been another team in playoff history that's been down by 20-plus points and came back to win by 20 or more points in a yeah. game. I mean, that's, it's absurd when you see the swings in their games, and they're never out of the game at all. Um, that really stood out to me. But going back to the, the other side of it, you know, we're talking about passing being the, the kind of the, you know, wave of the future present in football and, and, and teams turning into passing offenses. I mean, just look at what the Titans did in the first three games. I mean, they, they won games with, well, two games at least, with a guy who, who was running the ball and really was unstoppable right. for those first two. I mean, he was unbelievable. And then, you know, go find me the last time a team won a conference championship game with the quarterback throwing the ball eight times. I mean, that, that doesn't happen either. I mean, they, they, they really bludgeoned Green Bay um, with that running attack. And, and, and I would imagine – you're going to see a lot of that transfer over to next weekend, too, because, I mean, look, it's, it's trite, it's cliche, but the best way to, to make sure Mahomes doesn't score is to uh, keep him off the field and, and that running attack for San Fran's dynamite. But kind of the resurgence of the running game and teams doing it the old-fashioned way a little bit, that kind, of, uh, that kind of stood out to me the last few weeks. So Kansas City's right now pretty much one across the board. I think there's some one-and-a-halves out there. You can tell me um, whether there are um, 54. You mentioned the totals up from, from the open um i would imagine at this point given you know the the impression that that mahomes and that kansas city offense gave to everybody watching for the the first two games that there's at least a public lean if not a heavy public uh play on on kansas city laying the point 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I haven't gone down uh, to our book today, so I, I don't know if we're still at one and a half, but we've been at one and a half for a little bit. Okay. Um, we've still taken 70, 71% of the action at one and a half still on Kansas City. So um, the public is, is certainly leaning that way with the number. It's ironic right now. I mean, our biggest play here at Charlestown or, or anywhere through the network, we took 186000 bucks uh, on the Niners on the money line at plus 107, uh, and that's the largest play we've gotten at all. Um, so as I, as I look at it now, the money is, is skewed to the Niners uh, as far as winning the game outright. That's going to change by game time, I'm sure. Uh, we, we may be in a weird situation, though, where a, uh, a KC one-point win is like the bonanza for us. Because <laughs> right, because of that money line play. Yeah, exactly, and then we'll 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 beat the public on the one and a half, which is our number right now. We'll win the money line play, so uh, it just doesn't get the feeling like this is going to be a one point game, though, does it? No, it doesn't. Where do you think the number? Do you think the number stays put? I mean, with seventy percent of of the tickets coming in on Kansas City, even if your your money volume um, is is a little bit uh, you know closer to even, do you do you see moving the number at all? Do you see the number moving anywhere? And if so, which, which direction? Well, you know, look, is one and a half two versus two a huge difference? Probably not. No. I, 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 it, to me, one and a half is probably where it's going to settle. Um, I'm not stunned if you see some late sharp Niners money, to be honest, just because, and that's just anecdotally from what I've heard. You know, some folks who I respect, certainly um, that seems to be the side they, they lean to in this game. I could see that. I, going north of one and a half, I would doubt it. Uh, how, mu- how high do you think the total goes? Do you think it goes higher from 54? I told someone like it's like during those like Patriots Dolphins games last year. Like I was told, like you can't set the line at like thirty. You know, even though you you reasonably know that one team is demonstrably better than than another. So I mean, how high can you really go with the total in this game, um, knowing that one team has the potential to throw the ball, you know, fifteen times at most in the game? I don't know if it's going to go much higher. Maybe you see it creep up a point or two. Maybe I don't think you're going to get something like fifty-seven though. I mean, I, I think that. Anywhere 54, 55, maybe 56, I, I'm, I'm shocked if it goes higher than that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I know the total for that New England-Atlanta Super Bowl um, three years ago now was, I think it approached 59, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was the highest total we've ever had. I don't think we've ever seen a 60 for a Super Bowl, um, but we've been higher than 54, uh, before I know that game was, and and you might remind me of another game. Well, hell, well, last year's game was certainly a mid fifties total game that ended up, you know, ridiculously thirteen to three. Nobody had that. It, it was, I, I believe, that Patriots Falcons game was the highest total ever, and I don't, I don't think it went over until overtime. Actually, right, uh, that's what put it over. Um, yeah, last year was in the mid fifties. We all saw what happened there. And last year was kind of an anomaly. That was one of the uglier games you'll ever see. Um, but yeah, we have seen higher than fifty-four. I, I just, you know, with the way the Niners put pressure on the QB, play defense, and run the ball, I mean, it just feels like they're going to have to try and shorten the game to win it. And um, I fifty-four to me, like I said, I, I feel like that's a pretty good number. Um, it, it might float up, but I don't know. You know, what's interesting about that Tennessee Kansas City game is that Tennessee's first half was textbook, right? They they possessed the ball two to one advantage. They had it for nineteen and a half minutes to ten and a half. They ran the ball. They scored on every possession but one, and they're down twenty one seventeen at halftime, which is really you know I, I, you mentioned it, and I think a lot of uh, of the uh, of the general football fan population, you know, and I know we get 
get caught up in this, you know, wanting to think that we're watching something totally unique, sort of the, the, the recency thing. But seriously, when it comes to Mahomes, I don't know that we've ever seen anything like what he did for two consecutive weeks. Look, in that first half of that AFC Championship game, the Titans, I felt like, could not have played better football. Exactly. Really. And they were down four points at halftime. Um, I agree with you. I mean, his performance the last two weeks has been unbelievable. And, you know, after he got hurt this season and he looked like a different quarterback for a few weeks, I feel like now that he's kind of rounding back into some semblance of health, I know nobody's fully healthy at this time of the year anyway, but um, he, he looks like he's using his legs and his feet a lot more. That's why I think the Niners in this game, I mean, I know their pass rush is good, but I feel like they got to try to keep this guy in the pocket to some degree because that's when he's at his best, when he's flushed out on the run, improvising, um, you know, throwing his no-look passes across the field that, you know, you, you just don't see anyone else do. Um, I, I, I'm sure the, uh, the Niners' defensive staffs had a lot of sleepless nights watching tape of the last two weeks, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of tack they employ trying to defend not only him, but you got Kelsey and Hill and Hardman and – and offense is loaded. Yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, I talked a lot about uh, it on the podcast and the radio show this week. I I don't know that we've ever seen a better extend the play off schedule quarterback. I mean, we've seen so many good ones in recent years. Wilson, obviously, Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, but never a guy that extends it for as long as he does and then with a flick of the wrist can throw it 60, 65 yards accurately. Um, he's really, really interesting. And I think this whole elite quarterback versus great defense thing is is fascinating. It's always been in the NFL. I was telling somebody the other day, I think we did it on the podcast, Aaron. Um, I, I, we, the, you know, Dan Marino in 1984 shattered every passing record imaginable. And, and not that the, the two styles of play, Mahomes and Marino, are close. They're not at all. But the way we thought about Dan Marino in 84 and, and the numbers that he put up is a similar way in which a lot of people are thinking about Mahomes. And Marino went to that Super Bowl that year and got completely shut down by a very good 49er defense um, in, that, in that Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl 18, I think it was, or or 19. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, but it, I, it's hard to envision after watching Mahomes the last two weeks anybody completely shutting him down. Yeah, and, I, and at the same time, not completely shutting him down. I mean, that Niners team had a good D back then. I mean, they also had uh, the advantage of having a Joe Montana. A really, yeah, I mean, and, and so you're going to get in a position here where, where do you think the Niners could possibly outscore them if they had to? Um, I, and then, look, maybe they can. I mean, I, Garoppolo, I know he only threw the ball eight times, but. Look, he's been steady. He's not Mahomes, but he, he's not an issue back there. He's not a liability by any means. And I mean, when they traded for Sanders, um, the offense got a little more dynamic. We actually have a couple futures on, on Debo Samuel uh, to an MVP of the game. I mean, he's been a rookie. He's been a find. Um, you know, they, they're going to have to score points, though. You're right. Yeah. I, I, I see this being a Giants-Bills Super Bowl where the Niners, you know, are able to hold the ball for 41 minutes and right. hold this off to like 19 points. I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Otis Anderson in that game and that, that offense was, was really incredible. And lots of times you just need what – you know, essentially what Houston got early in that game, which is a couple of drop balls, a couple of deflected balls, you know, and a couple of breaks to to just get them off the field. It's almost like you have to get a break to get that Kansas City team off the field. We're talking to Eric Zimney. Eric is the vice president of racing and sports book, book for Hollywood Casino uh, in Charlestown and all of uh, the sports books and casinos um, and race books uh, that they own. Um 
did anybody just out of curiosity did is there any sort of big decision on somebody playing an AFC NFC Super Bowl point spread a month ago that has a huge advantage here uh no no huge advantage on that I can tell you though there is a, a we have a pretty large network-wide liability on the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl uh, in one of our properties in Council Bluffs, Iowa. That's kind of Chiefs country, and they're all Chiefs fans there. And what, what, a, was, what was the money line at that point? Um, God, I mean, when, when Mahomes got – the thing is, it, it, it varied so much throughout the year because after Mahomes got hurt, they might have been 12-1 to 1 because, I mean, they got a dislocated kneecap, and they, and they, were, they were, you know, taking on water there. I want to say 8-1 to 1 was what a lot of the action is at. Um, and that was from a little bit earlier in the year, too. But, I mean, a lot of that's recreational money. Um, a lot of that's recreational <laughs> but money. But you got a big play in Council Bluffs. That's hysterical. What was, yeah. what was San Francisco to start the year? I have, I have no idea what they were. God, I, I don't off the top of my head. I mean, if I had to guess, would you put them in, like, the plus 4,000 range? Yeah, right. Like yeah. I mean, they would have to, yeah, I would think. Um, we don't have, as you can imagine, since they're a plus 4,000, we don't have a lot, uh, a lot of liability on them at all. So, um, yeah, there, there's nothing there uh, that's going to stand out. I know we're talking about props. Yeah, one, I was going to ask you about props. Go ahead. Yeah, no, one interesting. We had someone come in, I believe it was a $900 bet on LaShawn McCoy to score at least two touchdowns on Sunday. Um, at odds of eighty to one, so I don't know if this person just doesn't like money or, or what the uh, <laughs> I, he was active last week, was he? I don't think he was active. Oh, you're no, saying for the you're, you're saying for the championship game, not the Super Bowl. So somebody came in and put that much on Lashawn McCoy to score two touchdowns. Look no, if, for the for the Super Bowl for the Super Bowl, knowing that I I don't believe he's been active for the last. couple Oh of right, games. okay, so it was for the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, maybe this person knows that he's going to be active. I don't know. Um, I don't. It's not I like mean, they I, needed him. No, they don't. They don't. Williams pretty good. I mean, look, they're pretty good. I, I, they they score points. Uh, if Lashawn McCoy, McCoy scoring two touchdowns. Um, I would think the Niners are in for an incredibly long day. Uh, what's the most interesting prop bet on the board? I mean, give me a couple that you think are going to really interest betters. You know, it sounds, again, it's the coin toss just has intrigue because <laughs> of it's the coin toss and it's quick action and it's, uh, you know, you're, you're betting on somebody flipping a coin and it's, it's uh, you know, I would anticipate across the network we'll probably get a five-digit amount on just people betting the coin toss. Uh, recreational, it's it's kind of fun, and, and people gravitate towards it. That's crazy. I would it think is. a lot of the Mahomes numbers are going to be um, heavily bet, the over-under and yardage touchdowns, you know, et cetera. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I, I did want to ask you, so I, I'm, I'm a big college basketball uh, better. Aaron and I sit here and we just we, we look at the numbers every day. Um, is college basketball heavily bet before March or not? It is, and as you can imagine with college basketball, the thing that makes it trickier are just that there's so many options. And look, I mean, it's it's hard to sharpen lines on, you know, Dartmouth playing Brown on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you have people who specialize in those markets. So it, it, you do take money. It's really a lot of – you can take a lot of sharp money in college basketball during the season um, just because of that. But come March, we'll have more people in the book for the first two rounds of the tournament uh, than we will on Sunday. 
Wednesday next weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, that first weekend of the NCAA tournament, being in the sports book in Vegas was always uh, quite the weekend for a lot of friends of, of mine and myself uh, for many years. And, and I know your, your sports book, Hollywood Casinos, if, for those listening that haven't been up there, it is a great sports book. Great place to watch the Super Bowl, great place to go up there to watch you know, college hoops and the NBA over the weekends you know, in, in, in March, in, in, in January, February, and certainly uh, in March as well. You know, it's interesting that you said that about college basketball, that, you know, there, there, there are a lot of sharps. I, I think it's one of those things you see in college hoops that that home court advantage in these conference games really, you know, how many times you get an unranked team at home getting a really short number against a ranked team, you know, coming in and the public just is all over the ranked team, you know, laying a short number, think that thinking that Vegas is somehow aired in the point spread, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's true. And, and, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys out there now with some pretty good systems and models for, for obscure college basketball games. And, I mean, when you don't get a volume of action on games, I mean, you know, from these, you know, the big South Conference or whatever, you just pick one randomly. I mean, you don't get a large volume of action on those games. It's hard to know customer tendencies. And when you when you finally kind of figure it out, that's after someone's come in and, and thrown a, uh, you know, Twenty-five thousand dollar play on the over in the in the Winthrop game, and, uh, <laughs> and then left, you know, like looking at the walls, like what the heck just happened? Um, well, what do you do when that happens? When somebody comes in, let's say tomorrow, okay, and they've got the over in the uh, you know um, in the in the Winthrop you know uh, Radford game, Gardner Webb game. What do you do? You, do you have a limit on those games? It depends on the profile of the game. There's not really an explicitly stated limit. Uh, frankly, we usually take the money. Yeah. Um, and we've done that, and, and our hold last year was still uh, about 9%, despite us getting taken for all that money on the World Series. So the approaches were pretty well. I mean, we have you know good confidence in our numbers, but uh, I'm not saying there isn't a situation where we would limit a game based on just the overall profile of it, but it's going to be a more obscure game versus you know a highly liquid market. Like, yeah, we're not going to do that on the UNC-Duke game. You know, there is that built-in advantage called the VIG, uh, which puts you in position to, sure, just take it. Uh, ultimately, it'll work out, but it is... It's funny about college basketball, and I, I, I can't tell you how many nights, you know, in, in mid-January, I've been sitting there, and, you know, all of a sudden there's like, you know, Towson against William & Mary, and William & Mary's got, you know, undefeated in league play, and they're only laying two on the road against, like, one of the worst teams, and, you know, the contrarian in me has always said, good God, I'm on Towson for the limit, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It, it's called gambling for a reason. There's no true theory or System that really works consistently. Wouldn't that be your advice to anybody that's trying to to delve uh, into the world of gambling for the first time? I, I think the percentage of players who are truly sharp and over the long haul are winning players is incredibly, incredibly minute. Um, you can go on runs, but you know people tend to regress to the mean. And um, you know, I'm not saying there aren't guys, aren't guys and aren't players who win over the long haul. There certainly are. But uh, yeah, there's there's no one size fits all infallible system. No, if anyway, if you if you've got one or know someone who's got one, please let me know because yeah. I will I will yeah. quit my job and play it right away. Um, I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you so much, um, Eric. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I like Eric a lot. Good guest. Uh, really good information. Um, big sports fan, obviously, and that's big responsibility when you're running a lot of different sports books. But you know what? 
Aaron, it's better to be on his side than on the side we're on. Yes. Um, his Always. side, pretty much guaranteed lock to win. Uh, I do think it's funny, you know, that one of his his biggest exposures right now is from their sports book in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, real quickly before we run for the day. Uh, big game Sunday for Maryland um, at Indiana. I love that Indiana won that game last night, Aaron, and they've got sort of a short turnaround before the game on Sunday. Maryland's got all the rest. Maryland's never gone into Indiana and won. They've never been in Bloomington as a Big Ten member. They won as an ACC member at Indiana at Assembly Hall. Now, granted, that, that's only two or three trips, I think. For whatever reason, they haven't visited Indiana all that often. It, uh, is it only two or three? Well, they've only. this is only year five, right, in the league. 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It was 14, 15. It feels like they've been there forever. No, I think you're right. I think it's year six six in the Big Ten. Um, It's a big weekend for college basketball. I'm not going to watch the Pro Bowl. I'm not even going to talk about the Pro Bowl. But in the Big Ten alone, tonight, Wisconsin at Purdue. Tomorrow, Illinois at Michigan. And then Sunday, Maryland at Indiana and Michigan State at Minnesota. And how about this? Ohio State was the number two team in the country a month and a half ago. And right now... They are reeling. I mean, they have lost six of their last seven games. They're not ranked anymore. Um, They have Northwestern this weekend on the road. Uh, That is, when I saw them in December destroy Villanova, uh, November, December, then destroy Carolina. We didn't know what Carolina was. They destroyed Penn State, a good Penn State team. I thought, wow, this team is so good defensively, they got a chance to win the whole thing. And they're now 12-7, and 2-6 and six, uh, in league play. Uh, really strange year in college basketball for sure. But um, that's a big weekend for college hoops this weekend and a big one for Maryland on Sunday at 1. Um, that's it, right? I'm not forgetting anything. I mean, what are we going to say about Antonio Brown? He got arrested. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, could, we told you in August – um, as all of you knew, uh, that the dude was troubled and needed help. Uh, apparently, his ex-wife says he's not going to see his kids until he gets mental um, uh, therapy and help. And it's the same thing that Drew Rosenhaus said about him. Uh, Ed Orgeron, by the way, just signed a big six-year extension through 2026 to stay as LSU's uh, head coach. Uh, that was obvious. Uh, remember when he got the gig? Oh, not every LSU fan was happy about that. Uh, now as a national champion, they don't want him to leave. All right, uh, thanks to Scott Jackson. Uh, thanks to Eric Zimney, the VP uh, of Race and Sportsbook at Charlestown Hollywood Casino. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Have a great weekend back on Monday.